This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fokatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. It's Christmas tomorrow. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. We are, we, we've kind of got a little bit of a plan. We're going to Christmas lunch at one family's house, Christmas dinner at another's, and we're having no presents, just a lot of food and goodness. We are Christmasing at Mum's house and then matter transferring ourselves to Timaru for another Christmas. The maths Holy. doesn't quite work out. <laughs> and, and it... It, and your electric car that has just enough juice to get from one to the other if you don't overeat the lunch. No, we already know we have to stop at Hamden and Omaru. It's a bigger problem than that. And I think I'm getting the blame for it. But never mind, we'll get over that. Who are we introducing today? Today we're actually reintroducing someone. It is my great pleasure to introduce uh, Andy Williamson, who we had. Listeners not, might remember he was he spoke to us, I think it was like our first week, Sam. Really early on, uh, Andy is uh, based in the Isle of Skye and is a parliamentary consultant who's been um, doing some pretty remarkable stuff uh, over the lockdown to to help parliaments around the world. And um, Andy, your life is fascinating. You're an amazing human. It's so cool to get to talk to you again. Welcome, kia ora. Kia ora, marai. Um, yeah, brilliant. It's lovely to be here. It's early in the morning. Um, last time I got to sit here with a glass of whiskey late at night and you had to get up early, but right now it's early in the morning and I can see a tiny, tiny little glimpse of, of light coming through because we're at our darkest time. So um, it's pretty cold and dark up here. So it's nice to have a bit of um, Aotearoa sunshine coming through the screen. But you're past the worst of it. It's getting lighter now. No. No, it's not. We've got another few days to go. Um, the, the the longest day isn't one day up here. It's a it's pretty much a week. <laughs> so it's, it stays dark. For, it stays about the same within a couple of seconds for a week. Um, so after you know we're just on the end of it now. Christmas Day will be. It'll start getting light. So how is your bubble well, life been going? Well, our our bubble life's been pretty good. It, it, when we're in the full lockdown, it, it really was just us, and we had the um, the badger, aged two and a half, locked in the house with us as well. Luckily, we've got lots of beaches and hills and mountains and things, so that was good. Um, we had some family come up in August when things were let off a bit, and it's all been pretty pretty good, really. The the schools are back, childcare's back. Um, Oran is loving being back at childcare. 
And then we got hit with this new strain that's coming up from the southeast of England. So we're going back into full level four lockdown on Boxing Day. And we're in level one at the moment up here. Things are pretty, you know, we're not, we're not relaxed about it, but we're, we're pretty comfortable. There's no cases anywhere near here. Um, so it's going to be a big change. And he's going to an immersion preschool. That's one of the reasons why you went there. Yeah, it's a it's Gaelic it's a Gaelic language nursery. So. How's that going? Um, one of the, oh, it's going great. He um, uh, Alison has been doing a Gaelic language and grammar course, quite a an intense one. It's sort of blowing my mind just looking at the notes. And um, Oren managed to correct her grammar the other day. <laughs> How's your and learning going? Right. Sorry. How's your learning going? My learning, uh, my learning is, um, is, I don't know how my learning's going. I'm sort of, I just flat out. It's crazy. I haven't really had stop, time to stop and think about it. We've been so busy this year with, um, I'm just re- reacting to the pandemic largely, but other projects on top of it, trying to pick up after um, lockdowns and various things. So, yeah, I'm just in um, head down on the treadmill, keeping stuff going at the moment doing some interesting stuff looking now at not what the parliamentary reaction to the pandemic was but okay what have you learned which is really interesting stuff so what's this done um you know you you all got into this panic <coughs> excuse me we sort of seen these three phases and if you want to paraphrase them the first one was panic what on earth do we do we just have to we have to keep this stuff going. The second was, okay, let's calm down and look at this a little bit. Right, let's put the systems in place. So we build the voting apps. We put in Zoom. Um, some parliaments have built complete virtual systems. And the third one, which is where we're kind of at now, we're creeping into for some parliaments and still heading in that direction for others, is, okay, what's the innovation in this? What do we keep? And we've probably done five years' worth of parliamentary technology innovation in six months this year the speed that we've had to adapt stuff at is intense um and immensely collaborative we've we've amplified the collaboration massively so you know we just have a a big network of of parliaments sharing everything and learning has that innovation made some of the things that disappoint you about democracies better have Um, we used this as an opportunity to have to fix things yeah yeah in some cases yes we have um the big thing is around um physical presence in the chamber not needing to be you don't need to be you never did for a good 10 years we could have fixed that we fixed that um the thing that depresses me is things like the the house of commons in the uk and the political stroke dinosaur attitude to it's not proper unless we're in here catching things off each other and dying um that's stupid and it's political and um the uk government's contempt for parliament and the critical importance of parliament in democracy is is depressing but there are other very very good examples the way brazil has has virtualized its parliament parliament of latvia can now operate entirely from a single app Fabulous. You know, some really, really good innovation. I presume it, well, you mean it can operate entirely from an app. It, it's a, is it a getting by 
or is it actually doing the job no it's doing the job um it's a bit beta as we might say but so is life at the moment um but it has the legislative calendar it has access to the document management system the legislative management system so you can see drafts and amendments of bills it's got uh, built-in videoing for plenary and committees and it's got voting built into it but but when we go to conferences we all know that the the conference sessions themselves are all very well and good but the real benefit from going to a conference is the standing in the coffee queue and talking to someone at random that then turns out to have a Nobel Prize or something. Is it the same for for parliaments? Yeah, yeah, completely. And there's you get all the um, you know all the experts in democracy in the UK who are basically um, people who've never actually done it saying oh the house of commons is so archaic because it makes them march through the lobbies you should all do it on an app and it's like yeah you could it'd be very easy but the reason you want the mps are resistant to it and want to march through the lobbies is they get to stand next to a minister or the prime minister and they get that person's ear for five minutes because they're stuck in a queue and can't get out of it and yeah that's really really important the the, you know, the virtual parliament won't replace the physical parliament it's a, it's a poor imitation but it does mean if you're in a big country, so uh, you take some really good examples of Cook Islands. If you're an MP in the Cook Islands, it can take you four hours to get to Parliament on a tiny little plane. If you're an MP in Scotland, it can take you a day to get down to London. You know, from my local MP lives uh, lives on the Isle of Skye. He has to um, has to find a way of getting to to London. How do you do that? It's a long way. Um, Brazil, there are some MPs there who are out in the more remote parts of it. Now they can they can get into parliamentary sessions. So, like everything, it's a it's a bit of a compromise and a trade off. So you can spend more time in the constituency and less time travelling and less cost, but you lose that that face to face stuff. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have "Fly My Pretties," "Singing in My Soul." Why this one? Oh, it's a it's just an it's a nice song isn't it it's just fun it's nice listening to it and it's old it's a good it just reminds me of wellington and um it's 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 just a lovely song for this pick you up when you're all sort of where we're, we are at the moment it's dark and it's cold and there's viruses floating around everywhere the dark isn't the cloud it's a swarm of viruses Croaching us and i just think this is a lovely song and it's an old old favorite of mine it takes me back to to new zealand
the sun Shining through the rain Taking me high To blue sky I can hear you calling Calling my name And I can feel you
Thank you. Yeah, we think that's the one. So what's the plan for Christmas? You've got a two-and-a-half-year-old. That's that's big enough to know what's happening. Yeah, it's his first Christmas where he knows what's going on. He's coming up for three. He's going to be three in January, actually, which is scary. Um, we're having a quiet one. We're just the three of us. Uh, we might see a few of our neighbours out and about, as we do, but um, nothing big, nothing planned. We've a um, couple of trees floating about. We've got everything I think we need. We're sort of self-contained. We're not that fussed about it. We'll try and go out for a walk if it isn't raining too much. Um, just have a really relaxed time and lots of presents and um, slightly too many presents actually. People keep sending in presents and there's loads of stuff. So we might pair that back and split it a bit between Christmas and his birthday. But uh, yeah, he knows all about it. It's been fun. He's been making tree ornaments at nursery. They've been doing um, Christmas songs. He's been decorating the Christmas tree. He's got his own little Christmas tree that he's he's decorated himself. Um, I've done quite a good job on it, if I say so myself. It's quite <laughs> impressive. And um, yeah, he's loving it. And he's really sad that we should have um, his godmother and her husband here between sort of Christmas, New Year. And they're in the Netherlands, so they can't travel. And um, he's really upset about that. So he talked to her yesterday, and he was he was bawling his eyes out. He's really upset she's not coming. But he's got a real sense of Christmas is something for the first time, which is lovely. What do you think says sense of time? Our Lucy has, who is also two and a half, Leslie's granddaughter, she knows that it's soon. But her father's birthday mm. was also soon. When's, when's, when's daddy's birthday? It's soon. Including after his birthday. So she knew she, she, she's associated soon with time. Mm. But it clearly doesn't have a, a, a future tense. Yeah, yeah. It, there's a fascinating one going on at the moment around um, time and space. Um, so uh, he was measuring something the other day, and Alison said, how big is that? And he said, nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and the Christmas has been kind of similar. It's been um, – it, it's, it's a slightly um, amorphous concept somewhere in space that is happening. And, and if asked to pin it down, you will get a reply like, when's Christmas Day going to be? And he'll say, Wednesday. <laughs> Although his general response to most things at the moment is, if he just doesn't want to answer, he's he's the ad, I I hate this is horrible realization that they take after you, and he's got this a brilliant consultant's ability not to answer the question, and then to charge you for it. Yes, yes, by wanting to, he's getting awarded a marble to go in his marble jar or something. He's figured out that when he fills the marble jar, something good happens. Um, so he, he can now negotiate things that should be earning marbles or um, that deserves a piece stolen or, or chocolate or something. And he's recognized that Christmas is an opportunity to overconsume the things he's not allowed to eat the rest of the year. So and, he's got a sense of it. And talking on video conferences, which I was watching Lucy yesterday, who was happily chatting away to to Phoebe via my iPad and it was totally 100% natural that she was talking to someone via the iPad that wasn't actually there and 
I don't yeah. know when the first time I experienced such a thing, but it certainly wasn't when I was less than two. No, no, it's amazing, isn't it? It's, it's just grown up with that fur. Yeah, it's interesting what technology we just like assume because it was always there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it is. It's remarkable. He he just takes it for granted that these things can be done and that he can talk to people. Um, yeah, and I was talking to his godmother yesterday and he just came up and started chatting away. And that was just, on, I was just on my phone actually, just WhatsApp video on the phone. And he's just like, oh yeah, that's fine. And he said to me later in the day, can I watch a video? And I said, yes, where do you want, well, on the iPad? And he said, no, no, on, the, on your phone, because he knows I've got videos of him on the phone. And we've got a fantastic little video I took. And I said, um, can you tell me what kind of animal mummy is? And he goes, narwhal. I said, a narwhal? <laughs> and I said, do you, do you know that narwhals have got horns? Has mummy got a horn? And he went, yes, mummy's a narwhal. <laughs> At which point he, fell, he promptly fell over something and laughed. Does he recognize so himself the in the tech- videos? Yeah, yeah, he loves it. Absolutely. He's a, he, yeah, that's where he gets the performer. I think he gets from his, well, I'll say he gets it from his mother. I'm going to deny any, any um, thing about performance in my work. <laughs> but uh, I was, yeah. I was visiting with friends the other day, and their two year old granddaughter was over, getting close to three, so starting to construct sentences and, and able to sort of, you know, communicate reasonably well. She picked up her device and she clicked on the microphone picture and she asked Google to find this particular thing that she wanted to see. And it was so natural. And it would usually be, you know, you go and ask the parent to get the book and show me, but she just asked Google to find it for her. And that is such a significant change. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? Absolutely remarkable. We're trying to keep him away. Yeah, we're trying to keep him away a bit from that and let him do it the old way through books to start with. But we realised how many books he's got yesterday when we moved some things around. Oh, oh dear. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of books. It'll be really interesting to see if we look back on this time in 10 years and we go, oh, that was really dumb. We shouldn't have let our kids be so savvy. We should have, because I, I saw the you know, this this position that traditionally was held by the parent as the knower of all things um, mm. is eroding. Yeah, I I think it's it's a real challenge because it's good that they have those skills, but also we have to not let go of our role as the sort of the, not just, not so much the gatekeeper, but the, the mediator of that knowledge acquisition. So it, we know it's the right, thing that they're getting they're here then you know they're not picking a random search result where we're we're structuring it in the right way for them and their learning and their learning style um which google can't do google just gives you you know siri just gives you a response um so how yeah how do we structure that learning in a way that that's most receptive to them that's that's still down to us i think will be for a while but you know another another generation it'll be ai tapped into their brain and figured out, okay, they need it this way. That's even more scary, actually. One of the things I've been looking into as part of my doctorate work has been the impact of all of this on imagination. And uh, Mm -hmm. I worry that that is also, you know, this um, 
the way that our children's imaginations develop while they have this, uh, while it's so easy and while it's habitual for them to go to Google, then that that power of growing the imagination uh, is also lost to the parents as well. Like the, this yeah. un, unseen, unknown forces having such a profound influence on the way that our children think and the way that their imaginations develop. Um, that that's also yeah, it's quite interesting to see how that's all going to unfold too. Yeah, that's a that's a biggie. Uh, the, one of the things I'm absolutely loving with Oren at the moment is he's discovered the the idea of characters and role play. And um, even when they were going to bed last night, I I said um, I said something to him, and he said, "No, no, I'm Mummy. Um, this is my baby." And uh, Alison had become baby, and he'd become Mummy, and he was taking her for a story and <coughs> to bed. Um, and he's picking up on characters out of the programs he's watching. So you'll suddenly find in the middle of, of something that Postman Pat is driving the rubbish truck that's collecting things off the floor. And he's integrating all, you know, the, the, the fictional characters from his books and stories into, um, into his play. And, and he's picking up different roles. So he was Dr. Oren the other day. Um, and he, I think he was a vet, actually, because we were watching a vet program. So I think he was a vet, which is why he was treating me. Um, hard, I couldn't quite figure that one out, but it's brilliant the way he just does this. And he's, he, was, he had a flu vaccination the other day, which is the nasal spray. So he's been spraying this damn bottle up my nose for days now. Two-year-old ramming this thing up your nose till it's nearly poked into your brain. Does it hurt, Daddy? Yes. <laughs> if the skill when we were growing up was knowing stuff, and now it's changed into the ability to query, initially the ability to find stuff in specialised databases, and now it's knowing how to ask Google, what do you think it will be by the time that, that they're grown up? It's interesting, one. I... I was reflecting on this with some removal guys who are moving. So they brought the piano up from Glasgow to Sky last week, which is quite a mission. And we were talking about this particular suburb in Glasgow, which I won't name, um, where everybody outsources everything. So they have a cleaner clean their house. They have a man come and mow the lawn. Someone else comes around and tidies the garden. Someone comes and cleans their cars. And someone comes and, you won't believe this one, comes and jet washes their wheelie bins. I mean, everything in their life is outsourced and the shopping can get delivered. And so basically all they have to exist, all they have to do to exist is, is go to work and come back again. There's nothing else to do. And, and it's this entire service mindset. And we've kind of moved into that with knowledge as well as there's an uh, almost an assumption that knowledge is there when we want it. But um, I think the pandemic has been a clear indication that the difference between awareness of something and understanding of something is very, very different. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment, Gilbert White. It's um, He was a country pastor, the churchman, in the uh, late, mid-late 18th century in the south of England, Hampshire. And 
I read a line in there which absolutely blew me away. He talks about how one can't rely on the knowledge that's conveyed by people because they have a habit of twisting and misinforming you to suit their own needs. And I thought, <laughs> when did he write this? Did he write it in the middle of this <laughs> pandemic and looking at Facebook? Or did he write it just talking about the local gossip in 18th century England? Um, you know, none of this is new. Uh, the difference between knowledge and understanding is a is a really key one. How we learn. I mean, my job's really good. People say, oh, you're an expert in this. And it's like, God, no, I'm not. I'm making it up as I go along. Um, but what I'm an expert in is is being able to break down a process and understand the missing bits and the knowledge that needs to be gathered to do it. So I generally go into a project with absolutely no idea what the answer to this is and what I have to do. But what I've got is the, the, the knack and the skills and the experience to be able to break down the problem, understand what the process is, what has to change, and then start putting it back together. And the but end also, result is rarely what you, yeah, rarely yeah, what what you, you expect it to be. What you're missing from that characterization of your work is the collaboration and the ability to communicate that with with other people. And I wonder if that's something that the mm -hmm. pandemic has taught us about the importance of, you know, that when we couldn't be close to people, we realised how much we needed it and we all rushed to to Zoom and so on to, to do it, realised that that wasn't quite meeting the needs and were quite happily you know, going back to finding other ways of working with people. Yeah, I think collaboration has been huge. This year it's been absolutely vital and I'm, I'm organising a a meeting in February, which is a bit of a sort of think tank focus groupy thing about what's our learning, what we're we taking forward from this. And um, I've got in this meeting the parliaments of Spain, Brazil, uh, European Parliament, Pan African Parliament, Zambia, South Africa, Estonia, um, who else is in there? Austria, uh, dozen, uh, uh, two dozen parliaments in the space of three days have said, yes, we'll, we'll be part of that meeting. Now, you you just try and wrap your head around organizing the IT directors, CIOs of a dozen, two dozen parliaments to be in one place. And it's it's a nightmare. How do you do it? But we've done it this year because we're all talking. We're all on, a, on the same WhatsApp group. <laughs> we're all talking to each other. We all know each other. We know each other anyway, in most cases, because we do meet, but... Um, in this instance, it's been very, very easy to, to get that, that knowledge together and share things. So face-to-face -face is great, but when you work in a very distributed industry anyway, because there tends to be one parliament in a country, kind of the definition of it, really. I mean, you have regional <laughs> ones and subnational parliaments, but you tend to have one. So you are a bit isolated. So actually, this has brought us far closer together and has really lifted the, the collaboration and group practice. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou koutou You're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day, who you are. 
a triumph of nature's art. Perfect. Unique. And amazing. Thank you. So as we all know, 2020 has been a very fascinating year. We find ourselves here in Aotearoa, Dunedin, and indeed in Aotearoa, New Zealand, in a state of absolutely incredible, unparalleled freedom around the entire globe. Here we are as a dream team of five million, having seen ourselves through, having cared for each other, and now we can frolic about in really the most amazing free way. How wonderful. So I really hope for all of you this year has been incredibly helpful, as I know it has been for me, in terms of helping me to reframe and reinterpret and understand on a deeper level my own needs and how to better care for myself as I continue to be lucky enough to be alive. And as this year comes to an end, I hope that for you, you can look back over all the lessons learned this year, all of the great gifts you have shared this year, all of those adaptable, flexible, strong, resilient, all of those skills that you've had to bring to the fore in order to see yourself and those you love through this very tumultuous and very scary at times year of uncertainties and of many ups and downs. So I hope that you can feel really, really proud. I hope that you can see the extent of the positive impact you've had this year. And although for many of us it can feel like this time of year is all about rushing around and making sure we've organised everything for time celebrating with our families, I hope that you are getting a bit of downtime to reflect and process everything that's taken to you. I know for me that I'm really, really looking forward to having some time with my family, but also really, really looking forward to having some time just at home in the mansion, sitting in the garden with the hay hay and getting to know them a bit more, especially with the four new baby hay hay that have arrived. And I'm quite keen to encourage them to explore the garden more in a supervised and protected way. And I've got some large bamboo screens so I can make them their own special hen closure. So I have a few projects I know I'll really enjoy doing just at home. And I'm very grateful to have had such success with Pika Pika bird feeders this year. Lots and lots of people over lockdown obviously really enjoyed connecting with the native birds in the backyards. So I've spent the last several months packaging up and sending off many, many bird feeders all over Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I'm very grateful for the support of Predator Free New Zealand hosting Pika Pika on their Shopify so that this is possible. But I'm finished for the year. So this big, very busy component of my life has ceased for now. And I feel very grateful, but also very relieved that I have a bit more psychic space. So I really hope for you, whatever changes are happening as we start to wind down for the year, you're noticing that availability in terms of those aspects of you that were bound up with responsibility previously. I hope that you're really feeling the opportunity that this new awareness we've gained this year will bring for you for 2021. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much for having me. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Andy Williamson. Andy, what do you think of all of the societal changes we've seen over the last few months? What do you think will stick? And what do you hope will stick? Um, 
I I think it's it's interesting. I think there's it's probably very different in New Zealand to here. I mean, just talking to my brother and another friend in Auckland over the weekend, and they're like, "Yeah, life's normal. Just carry on." Oh, we're supposed to wear a face mask if we go on public transport, but it's a bit weird, and that's all you do. Here, everybody wears face masks. Everybody hand sanitizes. Everybody keeps their distance. Pretty much, there's a, there's always an idiot around, but um, people have got much more awareness of um, of public health and much more awareness of uh, the needs and sharing in the community. One of the things we've done in my little community over the pandemic is we've opened up an arrangement with the, the local supermarket up the road, which is a co-op. It's, it's a little supermarket, but it's it's got a lot of stuff and they throw stuff out. Um, so now when stuff reaches the end of, of the life, it goes to a couple of communities and we've got a little shed next to the community hall and two, three times a week, the stuff that's past the end by date, instead of going in the bin, goes in the shed. A post goes out on Facebook and we all go down and see what's there. So it's not, you know, the, we think of this redistribution of food, of food banks to the needy. This is actually about waste reduction as well. We've managed to really step that up. So we're not wasting stuff. And, um, yeah, you know, we pick up something from there. We picked up some box of cherries the other day. How lovely. It's a nice thing to have for Christmas. We wouldn't have thought of buying them otherwise at this time of year. Um, so there's been a real, um, a real surge in doing things for the community. Um, and it's it's also in terms of politicians, political trust is interesting. Um, New Zealand and Scotland are similar in that we both have good female, dare I say, leaders who have led the the response to the pandemic. Our first minister has been on TV almost every day since March, and there's only the odd day she misses. She fronts it, she owns it, and she's very clear, and she tells us as well. Yes, you know, you the UK government said you can have these three families around you can do it for these days and you can do this but actually i'd rather you didn't and you better behave and and it's good it's really straight up and we're you know we're just told plain simple language or as you look south of the border and the utter shambolic incompetence of the uk government is appalling every single thing they've done they've done too little too late and they're just looking to themselves and protect you know they're handing out contracts to their mates they're they're not looking after communities. They won't close the border. It's, all, it's more about money than lives. And their only concern with the NHS is blowing the budget. You know, it's like there's no interest in human life. So what lessons do you think we can take for the ongoing larger scale problems that we face, things like climate change and social inequity? We've seen that communities can solve stuff. And actually, I think the big lesson we can take is that centralized approaches aren't the way to go. It's decentralizing. It's decentralizing decision making down to where it matters in the community. Um, ironically, the biggest failure we've got in Scotland is Scotland, despite the rhetoric, is highly centralized. They've um, taken as much power as they can from Westminster, but held it in Holyrood. And it's it's shown in the response that some of the localized responses could have been better if they'd been better funded, better resourced and allowed the decision making to drift down a level. Um, not in all cases. Sometimes you need the national response. But I I think for me that the, um, the single most important thing is letting communities work harder at solving their own problems. 
but you've got to resource them to do that. Not just, I don't just mean money. You've got to give them the skills. You know, it's difficult stuff. Um, we're pretty resourceful out here. You know, it's going back to that thing the other day about the, the suburb in Glasgow where everything's outsourced. It's absolutely the opposite up here. You just do stuff. You know, you, you have to. You have to be able to do it. You have to be able to use a chainsaw. You have to be able to tip a sheep over. You've got to be able to pull the car out of the ditch, knock the dent out, you know, change the tire. Um, all of that stuff you've got to do yourself because there isn't anyone to outsource it to unless one of your neighbours can do it. And then, you know, they will and you do something for them. I'm going to squeeze in the second of your music choices, Frightened Rabbit, The Woodpile. Why this one? Um, it's a book... <laughs> I was writing, actually. I, I had a playlist for a book I was writing a few years ago, a couple of years ago. And um, I just locked myself away and write and write and write thousands and thousands of meaningless words, some of which made it into the final edition, um, which still isn't published. Uh, yeah, there's a job to do next year. Finish that off. Um, and this was on the playlist, and it's just one that came round and round again. And and it's also a song I used to listen to on my playlist. When I lived in Edinburgh and walking into uh, the office, I lived on one side of the new town, and the office was on the other. And it was a 20-minute walk up one of the most intense wind tunnels in the world. You think Wellington's bad. Edinburgh, they're designed to be a perfect wind tunnel. You just had to tack some days. <laughs> and this was one of those songs that blew me along and kept me cheerful on that cold winter's walk when the wind was howling. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just a good bit of Scottish pop.
the soundtrack to Where the Wild Things Are worked for me, got me into the zone. Mawira needs to Mawira needs to find something to get herself into the zone. Yeah, yeah. Lo- I'm in the lo- zone. You're in the zone. <laughs> Do you know the other day uh, I had cranked up Rage Against the Machine, Killing in the Name of. That's like this song that just gets my blood pumping anyway. So my 11 year old was there with his friends. So guess what their new favourite song is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's not good. Not Parenting 101. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Beginning my of favorite, the anarchist. Talking of parenting and good things, my favourite discovery this year has been um, this animated series, little five-minute cartoons called Kitty and Lou, which is good Kiwi television. And it's lovely. I recommend it. If you haven't seen it, go and dig it out. And it's got um, got some brilliant people in it. But they're they're kind of uh, dinosaurs and strange creatures. Lou is a palachisi, which is a very flexible animal with trunks and tails and legs going everywhere. And they're just lovely. And they've got um, the music's by Don McGlashan and the songs in it are just so funny. I I totally recommend it. And Oren loves it and we love watching it. So we're like, just just watch some more Kitty and Lou. <laughs> really sweet stuff. Really, really lovely. I have some questions to end the show with and almost negative time to do them, so we shall have to rattle, but you've answered all of these, I think, in March. We shall go back later and check to see if you've done the same, said the same things, because I can't remember what you said. You probably can't either. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, there's a few things. I'm going to say that as Oran is still alive and seems to be functioning pretty well, I think getting that far, if we hit the third birthday and he's still alive, I think we're doing pretty well there. If we're still alive as well and haven't hit the bottle. And after that, he can look after himself, so done. Pretty much. Yeah, he, um, he's he been making stuff. He's sort of made pizza the other day with a bit of assistance, but pretty much made it himself from scratch. Just me putting the right ingredients in. But yeah, rolled it out, put the stuff on it. <laughs> so we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Oh, tenacity. I don't know. Um, I don't think I've got a superpower. I think I just managed to um, cut through things. I think I'm good at, pro- uh, good at process. I'm good at, good at understanding process and making it better. I can see why it doesn't work and I can see how to fix it. Maybe that's a sort of x-ray process vision that'd be a really dull superpower what what can you do i can see process <laughs> oh wow couldn't you just crush a rock or something um but i think that's that's kind of my rather dull boring but useful skill really being able to see where it's all going wrong and fix it so do you consider yourself to be an activist i'm i'm not particularly at the moment i think i am i go in phases i have been and i can be and i get awkward and stroppy and angry and start pouring sugar into people's petrol tanks when they bring the diggers in that sort of thing but at the moment i'm kind of working in the system which is a little weird because i always feel a bit outside the parliamentary system um, which i think is a good thing but i'm very much deeply embedded in it at the moment so maybe the activism at the moment is changing the system from within Sneaky. It's just probably the most successful way to create change, to be honest. So, um, and but sneaky. it's a different kind of activism. And sneaky, yes. Just so, do it this way. Oh, too late. <laughs> you've, you've changed. 
So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, a nearly three-year-old, far too early <laughs> most days. Although he's had a sleep in this morning. I came to do this. He wasn't even up. And I've just, um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's sleeping well at the moment. <laughs> um, what motivates me to get up? There's, there's stuff to do. We got, you know, this democracy stuff is boring and people criticize it all too readily. But if we didn't have it, we'd be in big trouble. And you know, working with parliaments, you know, we're working with parliaments, not just the big ones, not just Brazil and the UK and you know, the, the, the developed ones in Norway, Estonia, Switzerland, these people. We're working with Fiji and the Cook Islands and um, yeah, all these places, um, Maldives, countries in Africa, Angola, and making their parliaments work better, which means you get better representation and better scrutiny. You know, the other, th other thing about gov governments is they have to be held to account, and that's what parliaments do. They don't just pass laws, they check what's happening, and that stuff really matters. Um, and we take it a bit for granted. You know, our scrutiny stuff, well, I shouldn't do in the UK because the UK government is obfuscating and avoiding scrutiny. Um, but Western democracies, as we call them, modern democracies, take it a bit for granted. There's a lot of countries where this stuff's fragile. And I'm, I'm working in Armenia at the moment, virtually, of course. But, you know, they're in a war. That's a very different reality. People are literally dying. And we, we had a meeting at the parliament the other day that we weren't sure was going to happen because the parliament was being blockaded. Well, it's a good job you weren't there. Well, yes. I just wouldn't have got in anyway. <laughs> So what's the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, it's on two levels. One is I've got a big, uh, big report to write, which is an analysis of um, what we call the World E-Parliament report. And I need to get that finished in the midst of the pandemic. And we're already probably six months behind with that. My big challenge is I want to get the lessons out of the pandemic. What have parliaments done? What can we take forward? And how can we how can we present the stuff in a way that parliaments who are more risk averse and more skeptical and a bit more conservative um, can go yeah okay that's a good idea we could do that actually that's possible we could we could take another step forward so i think if i get to the end of 2021 and we've managed to say hey guys there was some useful stuff came out of this you can do it you don't need to wait for another global emergency and there's a general consensus that yes there's some good learning come out of it i think that'll be good um my my other ambition is we were supposed to be in aotearoa now and i haven't been home for a, a few years and it would have been oran's first trip so i'm hoping that things get sorted out and we can spend a couple of months at home next year and um that would be nice so that's a that's a personal ambition and yeah and have a bit of time off because there hasn't been much despite all of this and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Enjoy Christmas. <laughs> have a very, <laughs> very good Christmas. And it doesn't matter about re religious affiliations. It's the refrigerated affiliations that are going to be the enjoyable ones. You know, Have a good meal. Have a good catch-up with family. Remember what family's about. It's a time of year that we should be remembering family and, and people, and the other stuff doesn't matter for a couple of days. Thank you very much for that. Moira. Andy, thank you for your sneaky activism, for your <laughs> vision for change, and for all that you do to enable others to make their own change. That is a beautiful gift that you give, and um, and what a wonderful legacy uh, for your professional life um, that will impact on generations to come. It's a, it's a great thing you do. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the chance to chat again. It's great. Now, we're going out this week to Jingle Bells. 
I have found a Baroque version of Jingle Bells because Alison is a Baroque musician. Uh, this is by this is conducted by Jeffrey Bernstein. I'm sure she'll approve. of people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today, as ever, from the fabulous Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and on the Isle of Skye, Andy Williamson. We wish you a very Merry Christmas. We'll be back in the new year. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.